Ladies and gentlemen, we are live for MMA Sucker Radio. This is MMA fight music producer Mikey Ruckus, and you are listening to another edition of Sucker Radio with your host, Jeremy Brand. Be sure to catch all your mixed martial arts news and interviews and updates at www.mmasucker.com. I can't believe this. Welcome back, you fools, you suckers, for another episode of Sucker Radio on MMASucker.com. I'm your host, as always, and it says it in the song. It says it at the beginning of the show. I am Jeremy Brand, the man with the plan, and we have an absolutely jam-packed show for you this week. I will be joined by Alan Joban, who fights at UFC 184 next weekend. I'll be joined by Colleen Schneider, who fights at Invicta FC 11 next weekend. And I will be joined by James Lynch and Adam Martin, who are the hosts of the Parting Shot podcast. And uh, we're going to chat about all things MMA, specifically drugs in MMA. And if you don't know, yesterday the UFC unveiled their new drug testing policy. Basically what they're going to do is spend a lot of money so that they can get this stuff done. It doesn't matter. They don't care if, uh, you know, they lose main events because of this. If that happens, you know what? It's going to happen, Lorenzo Fertitta said. They want this drug problem and PED problem out the window. Um, Fertitta said, The UFC, in conjunction with local athletic commissions, will subject all main events and championship bout fighters to enhanced out-of-competition PED testing effective July 1st, 2015. They will also test every single fighter on every card, basically. Um, From the first fight of the night to the main event, every athlete on the card will be tested. We want uh, they want 100% of the fighters tested the night they compete in competition. And if there's any additional costs, so be it. You know, it, it's going to be under their budget. That's what's going to happen. If you're using performance enhancing drugs, you're going to get caught, Dana White said. This is the key. This is what's going to happen. Basically, they as I said, as of July 1st, this new drug testing protocol goes into play and uh Obviously, up until that point, the standard drug testing that's happened in the past will come into play. Uh, As everyone knows, Anderson Silva popped. He popped a couple times. Even earlier this week, it was announced that he failed a post-fight drug test. And I'll get into all that along with all the other positive drug tests that have happened over the past little while with James Lynch and Adam Martin. I don't want to talk about that a heck of a lot. I want to talk about my sponsor right off the hop, uh, DraftKings. Head on over to DraftKings.com for this weekend, UFC Fight Night, Bigfoot versus Mir. There's a $20,000 prize pool. First place gets $2,000 for just a $2 entry. And obviously, as we always tell you, that $2 is waived with your first deposit. So if it's your first deposit, you do not have to pay for that. Also, if it's your first time deposit over at DraftKings, enter in the coupon code MMASUCKA, M-M-A-S-U-C-K-A, and you will receive 100% of your money back. That's a 100% bonus, up to $600. 
Uh, this prize pool, as I said, $20,000. The top 2,300 people will get paid. You know, it's a salary cap style drafting $50,000 to select five fighters. Make your picks from top to bottom of the card. If your guys do the best, you could be walking away with a cool $2,000 for first place. Again, head on over to DraftKings.com, enter in the promo code MMASUCKA to receive a 100% bonus up to $600 back. Some big fight announcements before I get to my first guest. John Jones, Anthony Johnson, Chris Weidman, Vitor Belfort, Donald Cerrone, and Khabib Nurmagomedov head to UFC 187 in May. Oh my goodness. What a completely stacked frigging card that is. On top of those fights, Dave Scholler, head of UFC Media, just announced, also added to UFC 187, Andre Arlovsky versus Travis Brown, and Joseph Benavidez is also fighting on that card. Oh my goodness. Man, two championship bouts. Donald Cerrone, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Holy crap. And Joseph Benavidez versus John Moraga. You, you, oh my goodness, I, I'm drooling at the bit for this fight card. That's amazing. Also announced on Wednesday. Something that, that I can't believe I haven't mentioned yet. Rory McDonald. Robbie Lawler too. Rory McDonald's finally getting this title shot. It was announced on Wednesday that they are heading UFC 189, July 11th. It's a big fight weekend. Uh, Jose Aldo versus Conor McGregor on the same card. Rory McDonald gets his long-awaited title shot against Robbie Lawler. He lost to him in the past, split decision. This time around, who knows? It might go the Canadian's way. That's a big, big fight. I can't believe there's so many fights lined up. <laughs> it's pretty damn crazy. So uh, other than those fights, I'm not going to talk much more about any of that stuff. Let's just head right into my first guest. One of the UFC's most promising welterweight stars joins me right now. Please welcome Alan Joban to Sucker Radio. Alan, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day today, man. Yeah, man, a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, before we get to the present, I know you started off your amateur career with the Las Vegas-based promotion. Tough Enough did very well for yourself there. What got you into the sport of punching and kicking people in the face? <laughs> I think it's just something that, you know, was, uh, was in me from a childhood, you know. I grew up and um, just grew up watching the martial arts movies, watching, you know, a lot of Van Damme and Rocky movies and kind of always had that itch inside of me. And uh, as a kid, you know, always grew up with that. And then, um, you know, I, I honestly, as a kid, I used to, like, organize a lot of backyard boxing matches uh, at my house. After school, the kids would come over. I'd grab the um, boxing gloves out of my house, and we'd have a bunch of boxing matches in the yard. And uh, not very technical, but it was fun. <laughs> and um, from there, it just progressed, you know, one thing after another. And uh, it's when I moved to L.A. about 10 years ago that I walked in my, my first Muay Thai gym called Bomb Squad at the time. Uh, and instead of doing Muay Thai and one thing led to another and, you know, uh, I don't know, that was eight, nine years ago and now I'm in the UFC. So were you that one kid growing up as a kid that no one wanted to fight or, or did you put up your dukes as, as well as everyone else? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say I, I never was a bully, but I definitely didn't get bullied. <laughs> 
Fair enough, fair enough. Now, early in your professional career, you went on an impressive six-fight winning streak with only one of those bouts going to the decision. Was there any communi- was there any communication with the UFC while you were on that streak, and were you surprised that you weren't signed earlier? Yeah, we were definitely trying to get in the UFC um, when I was on that streak. But, you know, looking back now, um, everything happened for a reason. Uh, I went on, like, a six-fight winning streak, like you said, uh, and then uh, I, I was in the RFA. I made my RFA debut and I uh, had a, a, a real tough victory over uh, a tough guy named Chris Spain. Uh, uh, it was a great fight and uh, ended up getting a fight of the year that year for the RFA. And uh, that kind of elevated me in my career. I really knew after that going through a tough battle uh, to the late. Uh, I ended up finishing, but it was late in the third round. So it was one of those kind of back and forth fights. Um, and that kind of elevated me like mentally. In the, in the sport, and then after that I went and, and took a title fight, uh, and we went five rounds, and I lost, I lost a five-round decision, but um, like I said, looking back on it, you know, getting to go five rounds in a main event title fight on live on Access TV, for me at the time, was such a great learning experience. I learned uh, what, what I was lacking and what areas I needed to make up in, and uh, after that fight, I realized I needed to change up my camps, and uh, from there, I went over to Black House and said it working a lot more wrestling with Kenny Johnson, and I also went to uh, switch my striking over to Saxon's uh, Muay Thai, and so working on my striking with Julio Trana. And uh, so I just changed up my camp, and it was a change that was much needed and, uh, and healed some holes. And um, since then, I've become a much more, a better, a better fighter physically and then, uh, you know, much more uh, knowledgeable in the cage of when to put it on, when to rest, and, you know, when to take risk and when not to. So, um, yeah, I had a good winning streak going, but, you know, er, you know, when the losses come, all you can do is build from it. You can't dwell on them, and uh, I was able to build on it and um, eventually got into the UFC. Yeah, speaking of RFA, you know, President Ed Soares has made it crystal clear that he doesn't mind being called sort of a feeder league to the UFC. Did you feel that way coming into RFA, and did you know when you signed with those guys that that was that sort of stepping stone? Yeah, 100%. We were actually negotiating with uh, RFA at the time, and then um, I think it's MFC out of Canada. Yep, yep, that's up here, yep. Yeah, so so they, uh, which is another great organization. I was always watching them on TV, and um, they had actually one of the first people to offer us a deal, and we almost took it, and then um, when RFA came on the table with their deal, we, uh, we went with RFA because of that reason alone, because not only are they, you know, based here, locally where I didn't have to travel to Canada for the MSC, but they were, you know, coming out saying that we're not even trying to compete with the UFC. We're trying to be a seed here. And it just made sense. You know, it made sense to go in there and um, get the experience. And then with the, uh, you know, it, it was pretty much, they were pretty much showing that if you can go on a winning streak in the RFA or capture a title there, then you had a lot better chances of getting signed to the UFC rather than going in an organization that's, uh, you know, trying to battle with the UFC. So um, it just made a lot of sense to go with the RFA at the time. So you were 1-1 one one inside the Octagon, your first outing, you kicked ass, and then a controversial decision in your second bout. Do you still think about that performance at all? I mean, it's always there in the back of my mind, but I definitely am not dwelling on it. Um, you know, if, if people ask me about it and I look back at it, I feel like Worley is a tough guy and he's going to do great in the UFC, but I feel like deep down inside... He knows that I beat him up that night, you know, and he knows that in his heart. And uh, I'm not mad at him. The judges made the decision. Um, but he knows, you know, that he was looking for a way out and that at the end of the fight, he collapsed. And I had my hands raised 
but the judge just gave him the nod. So it is what it is. I'm not going to dwell on it. But, you know, you kind of take something from that. Just like in sparring every day at the gym, when you're training, and you go five-minute rounds with one of your sparring partners, you kind of know who got the best of each other that time. You don't have to say there was a winner or a loser, but you know who got the best of each other. And I feel like that's what happened in that fight. He kind of knows that I got the best of him that night. The judges gave him the nod. And then uh, it was unfortunate for me. You know, I, I, I didn't make the kind of money that I wanted to make. I didn't get my win bonus. I was hoping to also get maybe a performance of the night bonus or a fight of the night bonus. That didn't pan out either. So that was the most unfortunate thing. You know, I have a, a, a loss on my record now that should have been a win, and I wasn't able to bring home money to my family that, that I feel like I should have gotten. Other than that, I don't dwell on it. I'm not bitter about it. It just uh, got me back in the gym and motivated to come out and really make a great showing this next outing. It, it definitely would have pushed you further up in the rankings in your career. You probably would have gotten a different opponent than Richard Walsh, correct? Yeah, that's that's another thing as well. It probably would have... Uh, I mean, they had a lot, they have a lot of high hopes for... Um, for Wally Alves, you know, he's a tough guy and he's a, a big up-and-coming prospect and um, undefeated, fighting him in Brazil, uh, won the ultimate fighter at 185, dropped on to 170, so it's be a real force to be reckoned with. And quite honestly, before my fight, nobody nobody had even, like, done any damage to him. I mean, every fight, he was just just blowing through opponents. He was just beating them up in the first round and guillotining them or, or things like that. So um, I knew that once I survived his... Uh, aggressive onslaught in the beginning of the bell, and I got out of his guillotine. Uh, after that, he was kind of like, damn, this is going to be a tough fight, and I could see I kind of took the, the the will out of him. So, um, yeah, man, he, uh, you know, like I said, uh, I, for him to be blowing through opponents at 185 and then for me to go in there and take him three rounds, and like I said, I I feel like, the, you know, I pretty much beat him and not get the nod. Um, it probably would have done a lot more for my, my rankings and stuff. So that's another fortunate thing, especially with the new uh, ranking system that's going to be going into place in uh, July with the uh, Reebok sponsorships. You know, uh, rankings are going to be a much more bigger deal now that it's going to um, justify how much you get paid and whatnot. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot, you know, money's on the line with everything. You know, we, we, got, we, we need to make money to support ourselves and our family and to train. So, you know, at the, at, the, at the end of the day, that's kind of what's important. I fight because I love it, but I fight because, you know, hey, you need the money. And, like, you know, like you said, if, if you're ranked a certain way and it, it, it depends on how much sponsorship money you're going to get paid, then I want to be ranked as high as possible. For sure. Now let's talk about your upcoming opponent, Richard Walsh. He's also 1-1 one one inside the octagon. What are your thoughts on the Australian fighter, and is there anywhere or anything that you think you have to worry about when it comes to, to him as his, and his ability? Yeah, uh, Richard Walsh seems like a real tough guy. Like, uh, he seems like a smart guy. Like He's got a head on his shoulders, and... Um, and he's motivated. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's going to that's gonna, um, mess around during training camp or going to or take a fight lightly. You know what I mean? I think he takes every fight very seriously. He's kind of got this, like, caveman look going, and, and that's <laughs> kind of how I see him. He's, like, a very strong guy physically, um, and um, he looks kind of pretty tough mentally. Like, he goes in there, and he's a hard guy to take out. And I think he's really just more, if I had to break it down, he's kind of a grinder, you know what I mean? He's, uh, he's kind of going to go in there, plant his feet, Throw hard punches, and if you if your chin's in the way, you're gonna get dropped. So you gotta get out of the way of his punches, and then he looks to shoot forward and put you on the cage and kind of grind it out. So um, that's what I need to stay away from, really. And I think that if I could uh, stay off of the cage, and if I do get on the cage, make him work, tire him down, and then get off the cage and slow the fight down, I think I'm gonna find my opening somewhere in that fight and take him out. 
Do you think him coming into your backyard is going to be putting pressure on his shoulders or your shoulders? Um, no, definitely not mine. You know, I think, you know, the pressure with this fight comes because we're fighting on a main card, pay-per-view card, uh, um, at the stable center in front of a huge audience. As far as fighting at home and all that, um, I don't think it's going to be that much pressure or I don't think it's going to change anything. Fighting in the UFC on pay-per-view, all that stuff, I'm going to be super nervous, but I'm not really going to be thinking I'm fighting at home. I have to do well. You know, I, I started my, uh, my MMA career, my fighting career in California. So I fought in California many times where I had to sell hundreds of tickets and this and that. And, you know, with the UFC, I'm not really selling tickets. I'm just going out there and doing my job. People are going to buy tickets. So, it's kind of almost less pressure in that regard. I know there'll be a lot of eyes watching me, but I'm kind of used to it. So um, I don't know, man. I don't know how his mindset is coming here. I know that, you know, he has a long flight here and that he's coming into my territory to fight me. So maybe the pressure's on him, but I'm not feeling it as of now. <laughs> the welterweight division so jam-packed with talent. The top of the pool is, is co- as congested as ever. Where do you think a win over Walsh puts you? Because, you know, we've seen guys like Neil Magny, who, who got his sixth win in a row this last weekend, not even crack mm-hmm. the top 15. Exactly. Well, uh, to add to that note of Neil Magny, he's, uh, he's doing his thing, man. He's doing his thing right now. Uh, I, got, I got respect for him. But, uh, yeah, he fight, it's because he's fighting guys, you know, kind of somewhere in the bottom or the middle of the pool. And uh, and that's why. You know, he hasn't really, like, really – he's climbing the ladder, but he's not really, like, fighting a tougher and tougher guy every time. He's kind of fighting the same guy every time as far as rank ranking. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, that that's kind of why. Uh, with me, um, I think a win, over, uh, a win over Richard Walsh, we're both coming off of a loss. So it's not going to jump us up too much, I don't think. But I think for me – a lot of people saw the potential in me with my with my UFC debut, and a lot of people realized that my last fight, I pretty much got robbed, and I took out a, a really top prospect. So I think a win over 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 Walsh gets me right back on track of uh, of where people saw me. So I think it does a lot for me. Are there any names that that you would like to fight next? I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know if uh, I don't want to start throwing out names out there. I'm still fairly new into the UFC. And, uh, you know, I respect all the fighters. I'm just happy to be here right now. But um, with this fight right now, I'm just going to take Richard 100% seriously right now. And then um, maybe after that, we'll, we'll look for it to set up a fight that, you know, might potentially set me up to climb the rankings. Sounds good. Now, you'll, you'll be fighting on the same card as fellow Black House talent Kat Zingano. How cool is it to be on the same mm-hmm. card as her? I mean, she's main eventing uh, the women's fight on this card. Yeah, that's going to be a great fight, man. Kat um, is represented by Black House. She doesn't train at my gym that frequently, um, but she is represented by Black House. So um, that's going to be a great fight, man. I mean, that, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> Ronda Rousey, you know, saying that this is her toughest opponent yet. With that said, you know, she says that almost every fight, she's been blowing through almost everybody. So this is a tough fight for Kat Singano, but I know that she's the kind of girl that doesn't give up easily. Uh, she just needs to make sure that um, she sometimes gets, she sometimes she sometimes fights like me. She sometimes gets rocked and then has to make a <laughs> comeback. And sometimes it's, it's appealing for the audience to watch that, but you don't want to do that. You don't want to make mistakes against somebody like Ronda Rousey, who one small mistake and you end up in a grappling match on the ground, and they say, you know, you're locked in an arm bar. So you don't want to really make those kind of mistakes against Rousey. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But hopefully she could um, 
keep the fight where she wants it and not fall into Rousey's uh, territory. I'm glad you touched on that. I was going to ask you that. In your first fight in the UFC, we saw that. It was a scrappy fight. You got rocked a few times. Then you just keep coming back, punishing the guy. Is that something that you... You, you said you, you tend to do, but is that something that you're going to have to keep an eye out for as you climb the ranks and you're fighting these guys with more and more talent? 100%, man. I think I'm getting, I think I'm, I'm thinking about getting a shrink or something because <laughs> I maybe need to, I maybe need to go into hypnosis or something and, um, talk to some sports psychologists and find out why is it that, um, that my trigger, my button is, uh, getting punched in the face before <laughs> I actually go into that mode. Because that's not a it's not a good it's not a good uh, high percentage move to have getting punched in the face before you do great. So I'm trying to I'm definitely trying to erase that and trying to change my strategy up. But yeah, it's just something that you know it just kind of comes with nerves. You get in a fight and you're real hesitant and like there's this invisible kind of uh, boundary between you and the guy that you kind of real nervously uh, don't want to jump in too much. And then as soon as they get hit in the face, it's like that just disappears and I don't see any kind of. Uh, you know, barrier and barrier in between me and my opponent. I just go for it. So I'm sure I've been working. I've been working on starting uh, not too fast, but starting at the same pace that I'm that I'm somewhat in, finishing the fight with, rather than starting slow, getting rocked, and then coming back like Rocky. It's just uh, <laughs> it's just uh, too dangerous of a game to do that at this level. It's sort of like a kill switch. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying exactly. I've been trying to figure out how to. Flip that switch without getting punched. <laughs> now, another 10th Planet fighter, Ben Saunders, took home submission of the year for his Oma Plata in his return to the UFC last year. Despite being a brown belt under Eddie Bravo, um, we've only seen one submission victory in your 13-bout career. What is your yeah. go-to submission, if you have one in the gym, and are you surprised that you don't have more on your record? Um, I'm not surprised, I guess. It's just kind of one of those things where... The striking is more in my DNA than it is the submission. I started striking first, and um, honestly, even if I started jiu-jitsu first, I think my genetics, my, 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 my mechanics as a fighter lean more towards the striking, just because, I don't know, I grew up playing soccer my entire life, and I was kind of in, I was used to kind of being an explosive athlete, you know, exploding, uh, kicking the ball, running, sprinting uh, down the field. I was a forward or, or a striker. And so that was kind of uh, my makeup, my DNA, and it worked well with my, my genetics and my athleticism. So going into fighting, I just I fight that same style. I like to kind of explode on people. And then, like, when I see somebody hurt, even if they fall to the ground, I don't really think, let me bear hug this guy. I think, let me just beat the crap out of him and get this <laughs> over with. It's tough for me to want to, like, hug somebody and submit them when I'm in, like, kind of, like, kill mode. So um, I do have, yeah, like you said, I am a brown belt. And um, I do enjoy rolling. And, uh, you know, on the mat, I get a lot of, you know, Japanese neckties and, and darses. And um, I'll hit some twisters and things like that now and then in the gym. But, um, yeah, you know, make no mistake. Like, if, I ha- if I'm in a fight with you and I rock you, uh, I'm probably going to try to just take your head off uh, rather than choke you out. Love it. I love it. Now, moving away from the cage, your manager, AJ Chander, truly believes that you and the rest of Epoch Agency can be as recognizable as the likes of David Beckham. Um, your team has signed a partnership with Soul Artist Management. Without giving too much away, what are your thoughts about the partnership, and how do you think it'll grow you personally? No, man, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. Uh, I mean, if anybody that doesn't know me 
or haven't heard yet. Yeah, I, I used to model, and I still do. I started modeling when I was 20 years old. I'm from Louisiana. Somebody kind of, I guess you said, could say, like, scouted me out, found me. I went to this, like, expo. And next thing I know, I found myself in New York doing modeling. And it was the last thing I ever thought I would do in my life. But, um, excuse me one second. I'm in the car, but there's a cop on the side of me. So, uh, All right. i got to put the phone down for a second. <laughs> uh, and, okay, I'm not getting pulled over here. Okay, sorry about that. No worries. Um, but, yeah, so I do I do have a modeling background. And uh, I live in L.A., so, you know, being in the capital of all this, you know, the movies and the industry, I would go on a lot of auditions. And, you know, I would try my hand at acting a little bit and everything. So it was something that I had experience in. And I'd actually been paying my bills doing modeling and a little bit of acting for, for years now while I was fighting. And it was being a little too tough to juggle. So uh, once the fighting became a full-time source of income, uh, I was able to put modeling and acting on the back burner. But uh, So, yeah, now with all that experience that I have now um, in the industry, to be able to kind of merge the two worlds um, would be great. You know, I'd love to love to use my UFC professional athlete status to help me book jobs and book campaigns. And like you said, you know, you use the, the name like David Beckham and all that. These guys that are that are great athletes in their sport, they're going out and they're booking not just, they're not just getting like small sponsorships like we are in the UFC. They're getting, you know, huge campaign deals for, for like clothing lines and, 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 and cologne and fragrance companies that are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're becoming uh, recognizable names and brands uh, around the world, not just in the MMA world. So that's that's the overall goal of what uh, we're trying to do at Epoch Agency with the merging of, of um, Seoul um, is try to make these MMA fighters more of a universal, recognizable figure and name and brand rather than just a sponsored fighter in the MMA world. Yeah, do you think this is this is the way it's going to have to be? More and more fighters getting into this sort of side kind of business thing now that they can only wear Reebok during fight week. Yeah, you know it's it's a real interesting thing. You know, it's it's great to be associated with such a, 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 a name like Reebok. You know, they're a very well established name and, and they're globally known. So now that we're associated with them, it's probably going to be better for us in the long run. It might hurt us in sponsorships in the beginning. But like you said, that might be what needs to be done because now how many people are going to want to throw sponsorship money at us if they can't be seen inside the octagon? I don't, we don't have the, we're going to have far less sponsors now sponsoring us inside the cage because of the Reebok deal going into effect in, in uh, June or July. So we're going to have to look uh, outside of that. You know, we're going to have to think outside of the box. And, and so we're just kind of trying to be one step ahead of the game with that. Uh, with this deal with Soul Artist Management. And uh, we have some things in store already, man. I'm excited for them. I can't speak too much on them, but, you know, they, they've had me in touch with, uh, you know, magazines like Men he- Men's Health and, and, and magazines that, like that and, and some other companies. And um, we're going to see where it would happen. You know, I'm kind of just focusing on getting the win this fight. And then after that, um, I'm, I'm excited to see, um, you know, some, some things starting to come out in the, next, in the weeks following this fight. Nice. So yeah, you you think we'll hear about stuff from uh, Epoch Agency and and the partnership within the next couple weeks here? I think so. I definitely think March is going to be a big month uh, when it comes to um, maybe seeing some of the things that uh, Soul Artists and uh, and uh, Epoch have been uh, working on. Nice. Now, finally, you spoke about mentality in the game of MMA. You spoke about possibly having to go see a a shrink or something like that. So mentally speaking, in your dreams. 
How does the finish to your fight at UFC 184 play out? Man, I've seen it a lot of different ways, but um, I see me taking him out, man. I see me knocking him out. I, I, I feel like we're going to scrap it up in the beginning. He's going to get me on the cage. I'm going to shove him off a couple times, and the fight's going to slow down. And as it slows down, I'm just going to find those openings. I'm going to rock him one time, and as soon as I rock him, I'm just going to be in kill mode, and I'm going to finish him off, have my hand raised, and um, hopefully there's a bonus at the end of the night waiting for me as well. He is Alan Joban. He will take on Richard Walsh live on pay-per-view at UFC 184 on February 28th. Thanks again, Alan, and, and just let people know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, pretty much all my all my Twitter handles and IG, Instagram and Facebook, everything is Alan Joban. It's at A-L-A-N-J-O-U-B-A-N, at Alan Joban. You can find me on pretty much every social media site, so give me a follow. All the best, Alan. Good luck at UFC 184 in just over a week's time. And uh, good luck to your Epoch Agency, Soul Artist Partner yeah. Management uh, Partnership. And uh, hopefully you get a bonus this Saturday night. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be great. Thank- I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. According to her Wikipedia page, she has more nicknames than Kanye West. She is the current SFL America champion, and you can catch her next Friday at Invicta FC 11. Please welcome Colleen I don't know which nickname to choose Just Schneider to the show, Colleen. <laughs> which one do you like to go by? <laughs> my, my, what I really like about that is that, that it goes all the way back to my Taekwondo days. It has Thumper on there, which was my nickname in Taekwondo in college. And if it's on Wikipedia, it must be true. So, <laughs> I mean, it, if it goes back to your Taekwondo days, maybe we should uh, stick with that, keep that nickname, and, and use it at Invicta. <laughs> you, you can call me Thumper. Go for it. Alrighty, sounds good. Well, what makes a girl with a bachelor's degree in physics from friggin' Berkeley get into the sport of MMA? Uh, clearly, you don't have to be that intelligent to have a bachelor's degree in physics from Berkeley, or I wouldn't be fighting, right? Um, well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I just fell in love with the sport. Really, um, I mean, I've always. I've always been physical. I've always been an athlete. I'm I'm not happy sitting at a desk all day or even doing, you know, even in the context of doing doing research, um, the physics and astrophysics research, like I did in college. I just I'm a I'm a happier human being when I'm when I'm being physical when I'm being active and uh, I just I did traditional martial arts and then just uh, was introduced to MMA and totally fell in love with the sport with how much. There was to it with how uh, open and, and and free it was for movement and expression and how you could take a fight wherever you wanted to and I felt like I could I could train this for years and years and years and never be close to mastering it and I, I loved that about it. Now your main camp is in California. You said you've been training up a storm. Um, have you had a chance to cross train with any other gyms? A storm, a big storm, a hurricane. I've been training a hurricane. Um, I um. <laughs> you always take my words and, and, and sort of spin them around on me I mean you did that when when I interviewed you at uh, Super Fight League as well I got it even worse then because I was all super hyped up and, and happy after winning my title fight I'm a little mellower <laughs> right now I just finished training so um, you probably won't have to deal with it as much but I train at, I train at Combat Submission Wrestling in Solution, California um, with Eric Paulson and Josh Barnett and um, it's really, I, we do all our training there, and there's another gym Josh trains in the list app, but it's still, it's our little, our crew. Um, 
but I have you know, great instructors and really great teammates to work with, so I I, I don't go outside of that. What, Actually, is that that's something not that true. You... I just lied to you. I um <laughs> <laughs> I go um I train at a Brayola High School with their wrestling team. I have a wrestling coach that I work with there, and I work with some of the guys that are wrestling. So I do, I do do that as cross training. Would you ever want to venture out of California, try something else, uh, maybe on the East Coast, something like that? I mean, you are from New York, correct? I am from New York. Uh, I'm good. I did my time there. I don't need to go back. I kind of like Cali. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least the West Coast, anyway. So, uh, no, I don't don't think I'll move back East. Your beginning to professional MMA did not go too well. I'm not going to sort of dwell on the slump, but... (laughs) You started off on a three-fight losing skid. Did you ever think about giving the sport up after that? No, I didn't. Um, what I I kind of, this didn't come from anyone else, but I just pressured myself into feeling like I have to go, I have to go pro, I have to take this fight, I have to do this now. Like I had it in my head that I was, I think I was 27, and I'm like, I, should, I have to fight, I don't have any time, you know, uh, which is ridiculous. So, like I set these fights up, and I did this all myself, and I wasn't really... Um, it just I just should have waited, you know, I should have been smarter about it. As I said, let's get to the winning side of things. As I said, <laughs> you are the Super Fight League America Women's Champion. Winning that title was your last outing in October of last year. Yeah. Um, why is such a why such a long layoff and was this your choice or just couldn't find any fights? No, I've been trying to get fights, talking to different promoters, trying to get things booked. It's just things have fallen through or people don't want to you know, take fights. So um, when this when this was offered to me, I jumped on it, and I'm yeah, ready. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm training. I'm I'm training hard. I'd even actually um, been doing things that I wouldn't normally have been doing, not being in camp, like like sprint work and a lot of lifting. I usually only do that when I'm in camp. But I'm uh, been helping Shannon Baszler get ready for her fight in UFC. So I'd been doing all her sprint work with her and all her lifting with her. So I've been on top of that side of it as well, in addition to all the fight training. Helping Shane out, eh? Is it, that's sort of interesting. I mean, that was your opponent on the Ultimate Fighter uh, to get into the house, correct? Yeah, and I'm just training her so I can beat her up when we rematch. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> she's, yeah, she was my. That was my how I first met her. It was us fighting each other to get into the Ultimate Fighter. But um, uh, I moved out to California. She moved out to California, and then uh, and we're training partners, Bill Turner and Josh, and we're and we're good friends, and we train together every day. So how did the the phone call go when Invicta called you to take this fight on short notice? I mean, what was the thought process? Obviously, with not being able to get fights, there was absolutely no hesitation. No, I wanted it. I I, I checked with my coach immediately. He said, yep, okay, let's do it. So then it was just a, a matter of negotiating, which took about a day, and there we go. Had the fight. Exciting. So mm-hmm. you, you you took it on short notice. It's Is that something you've done before? I know you said you're always training but are you able to prepare much for for an opponent that you're not too sure about? Well, I am sure about her. I know I, I, it doesn't matter to me that it's short notice. It is, it's two weeks, whatever. I know who I'm fighting. There's plenty of tape on her. I know how she fights, and I know how I fight. So it, it's not even really the the only thing that I would ideally have done differently if I had more time was gotten in a couple more weeks of really um, kind of focused hard sparring. But I was still training and sparring anyway. It was just not with the intent of having this fight. So, is that the way you normally train? Do you train for the opponent, or do you just train to train? You know what I mean? Like, because some fighters say 
they specifically watch tape and, and they watch how the fighter fights and then they go into the cage and they, they train with a game plan. But a lot of times game plans go out the window. So do you just train to fight? So it's some of both. For me, it's I know what I'm, what I'm good at, what I do well, and where, where I execute well and where I'm strong. And if, if I'm going to train that regardless. And if there's places where I see that matching up well for me against a person, then I will work that specifically. But I'm not going to do something that's not, not my game or not my style you know, to, to fit a, a specific opponent. So I'm still, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm going to fight my, my fight in my game, but I will, if I see some things that I do that I think work, will work well against a specific person, then I will definitely train those and work those with my teammates and my coaches. Yeah, for sure. Now, Irene Aldana is, uh, is one of Invicta's Mexican prospects. She's four and one, somewhat newer to the sport than you are. Do you think in experience on your fact uh, will play a factor in this fight? I do, yeah. She hasn't had anyone really... Well, the one she had one her one loss. The girl really just put it on her, stayed in her face, and, and made her work for it, and, and she ended up getting getting submitted. Um, but and experience definitely plays a factor. Um, but I mean, I remember watching her Invicta fight against Peggy, and being like, oh, I like her. I like how she fights. You know, she, she's got she's got potential. Uh, so it's, I, I knew who she was when they called me and they said her name and I was totally down to fight her. Yeah, it's definitely going to be exciting watching you fight before we know you throw spinning shit, stuff like that. Um, spinning so shit. It'll be a fun there. one to watch. KO by spinning <laughs> shit. I had, to, I had to take a Nick Diaz uh, quote out of the books. <laughs> Now, this fight will stream live on UFC Fight Pass, which means even more eyeballs on you. Uh, do you feel that this fight will be sort of your breaking out party? Um, well, I don't even know if it's right to say breaking out party, because I've had, you know, I fought for Strike Force, I did the Ultimate Fighter, um, but I think this is, I think this is well-timed for me in terms of where I'm at in my development and, and, and my game, and that this is... I'm ready for this and I'm ready to go all the way now. Whereas before I've had those opportunities and I wasn't quite, uh, quite ready yet. You've basically only ever fought twice a year other than, you know, your first year in the sport in 2010. <laughs> now that you're with Invicta, do you hope to be more active? What, what's with the laughter? Oh, I just, uh, I've always had a hard time getting fights. Um, yeah, so this <laughs> exactly is actually, so. I, what, this is a, um, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more um, to deal, but to, to get this deal signed, this was a, a one-fight deal. But um, I have, a, I think it was announced uh, today that I'm also signed with Pancrase, and I will be fighting in Tokyo for Pancrase on May 31st, along with my, uh, my teammates, Victor Henry and Shohei Yamamoto. Wow, that's that's pretty damn cool. Right? It is pretty damn cool. <laughs> it is. I mean, the fact that you get to travel to Japan to fight, how, mm -hmm. how can you go wrong with that? With my coach, who's the king of pancreas. Uh, exactly. I first, so my, my introduction to MMA was pride. Like, I didn't even know the UFC existed until later on. So all everything I used to watch is all, you know, old pride fights, all the Japanese stuff. So I've always wanted to fight in Japan. So... Um, I, I am incredibly excited about that. So I've at least got two fights this year. That's only through May. So hopefully I can double that <laughs> and get four in this year. There you go. Hopefully a lot more active. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully. We, we, we all hope. <laughs> now the PED usage in MMA now, you know, it's been a bit ridiculous over the past few months, even few weeks. Uh, it was released earlier this week. Anderson Silva failed another post-fight test. Yeah. Oh, um, really? I didn't even hear that. 
Yeah, it was just announced today, actually. So how do you think this issue needs to be treated? Do you think if people test positive, they need to be done? No, I don't think they should be cut from the sport permanently, but I do think there needs to be more regular testing done. And I, I really, um, on the part of both, you know, the, the governing bodies and the athletic commission, like they need, they need to work together. There needs to be consistency there. Um, and I don't think you should do out of, I mean, I think it's just, if you have a fight book, they should be able to test you anytime they want, you know, once you have that fight signed and you have that set date. Um, so I think it's just a matter of doing regular, regular testing. I also think that kind of the restrictions around, uh, non-performance enhancing drugs are a bit ridiculous. Like it like, shouldn't, my opinion on that is that shouldn't, if it's non-performance enhancing, as long as you don't test, you know, the day of the fight, who cares? So Jones, you're talking about time, stuff like marijuana, cares? correct? Huh? <laughs> You're speaking of stuff like marijuana and stuff? Yeah, yeah, like it was like marijuana, like cocaine. As long as you're not stepping into the cage on one of those, right? Because that could affect things. And who the hell cares what you do? Exactly. I, I completely agree with that. I think unless you're you're caught doing it and there's a police record or something like that, then getting tested for it in a drug test should not matter. Yeah, true. But performance enhancing should be where, where the focus is, and that I think that should be regulated. Absolutely. And if you can make weight and test positive for marijuana, then you're pretty good. <laughs> or are you just really good at controlling munchies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just, just get high and snack on carrots. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. The day after your fight, the UFC women will be showcased on Saturday night. These ladies could be your future opponents. How do you see the Rousey-Zingano fight playing out? Uh, Zingano's tough, and I think it will be one of the tougher fights that Ronda's had, and I think it will go out of the first round, um, but I think Ronda takes that fight. I think Ronda, Ronda will finish her. Finish her. Good call. Mm-hmm. Now, moving away from the fights, I know Josh trains some of the guys up here at SFU. Do you help with their female athletes at all? Do you make the trek up to Vancouver to, to help him out with that? I haven't gone up to... I've actually never even been to Vancouver, though I want to, and I, I, I fear it's lovely. I think I would, I would really enjoy it. But um, my teammate, Laura Anderson, trains at Simon Fraser University. So her and I are trained together, and I've trained with some of the other other women on the SFU college wrestling team, some really fantastic wrestlers that's been great to work with. And then uh, Laura and I went to Hungary for the Feel the World Grappling Championships in October of last year, and we actually both, both took hold... Took hold took home gold from that so that was a, a great experience <laughs> i can speak properly nice now finally many people look forward to the music that fighters walk out <laughs> to um it can change it, it can definitely change the dynamic of the crowd it can pump up the fighter it could calm them down so what will your walkout song be in your invicta debut um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure because I'm not certain what they will let me walk out to. I will tell you what I walked out to for my last fight, which you, you know is a bit of a loaded question. But um, for my Super Fight League title fight, I walked out to Last Caress by The Misfits, which no. I will totally do again if someone would somehow allow me to do so. But I was not saying what else. <laughs> but Misfits definitely no. get me in the mood to, to step into the cage. It does it for me. I'm sure you have a backup plan. I do, but I'm not going to tell you. You have to just watch and see. Okay, I will. She is Colleen (laughs) Schneider. She'll take on Irene Aldana 
at Invicta FC 11 live on UFC Fight Pass next Friday night. Colleen, thanks a bunch, and just let people know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Colleen Fights on both Twitter and Instagram, or you can find uh, my fan page on Facebook, Colleen Schneider. And you can call me All the best, All the best in uh, your Invicta debut, Colleen, and, and good luck at Pancras as well. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. For sure. Have a good one. You too. Hello again, everybody. It's me, Justin Pirro, back for more unpopular opinions here on Sucker Radio at MMASucker.com. And I am joined here by the lead writer of Bleacher Report, the author of Total MMA, Shooters, and the MMA Encyclopedia, and one of the most no-bullshit MMA journals you'll find on Twitter. He is Mr. Jonathan Snowden. How are you doing, Jonathan? doing great. Thanks. Uh, great introduction. Thank you. So, the UFC had their big press conference today. The time is now to drug test the shit out of everybody, but uh, you, you don't seem to have a lot of faith in that. Yeah, I think they've kind of uh, earned our skepticism with, uh, you know, this, this is the same organization that in January announced that they were going to completely stop all of their own uh, independent out-of-competition drug testing. And so, you know, uh, this is quite the turnaround in one month's time. So, you know, I think that uh, I believe that they have this program in place when I see it, when the first tests are conducted, when the first fighter is, is caught uh, in the UFC system. Until then, I think, you know, I think it, it, it's smart to, to believe that, that anything can happen between, between now and when they are supposedly going to implement this testing. Yes. Uh, now that it's all done and the fighters have had some time to... Uh go over it. I see James Cross is the first person I've seen say anything, and he says, I have a feeling we'll see a lot of uh, fighters drop weight classes after July 1st. Do you think he's right on this? I'm not sure about that, because I don't think that uh, there are a ton of fighters that are using PEDs for the purposes of, of bulking up. So I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case. I think we probably will see a lot of fighters, um, maybe a lot of people dropping out of fights that they might have might not have previously due to injuries and the inability to, to treat their injuries and, and train uh, harder and smarter. So I think that may happen. I'm not sure about fighters dropping weight classes. I think if there really is a significant out-of-competition testing, we will see a lot of fighters get caught. So that that will be interesting. It will be. And um, I think giving them the grace period, which effectively gives them a chance to get off whatever they're cycling on, to clear all that junk out of your system by giving them that, uh, you know, four months grace period till July, I think we'll see. I think you may not necessarily catch as many people because the prospect of the punishments they were talking about, I mean, that's enough to scare me straight. I don't know about you. <laughs> well, for sure, it's four years. I mean, that's a. Uh... That is major. I mean, that for most fighters, that's an entire career. Uh, you know, you're not going to be fighting in the UFC for, for more than four years if you're, if you're the average fighter. So that, that is, that's a huge punishment. Uh, but it, this is just all theoretical, right? I mean, they, they didn't even put that into stone. There's nothing in stone. Who will they be working with? What kind of tests will they be doing? When will they be doing them? How will it work? Uh, we don't know any of those answers. Basically, this is a press conference that says, uh, that the UFC is against performance-enhancing drugs, and that they intend to uh, possibly do something in the future. But it, there were so there were so few specifics that it's hard to really say, like you know, what what's going to happen because we don't even know what the what this testing is. 
Uh, there's no word on whether it's going to be blood testing and urine testing. If they're going to be pulling hair samples, who knows what they're going to do? Who knows just how in-depth or how hands-off they're going to be? And we, like you said, we don't even know what organization. And is there one you would even trust? Would you trust VADA? Would you trust USADA? Who would you go with? Well, I think they, they've all had uh, different issues in the past. I think probably that the most trustworthy is probably VADA. But, uh, you know, no one has been perfect, and, and it is a complicated business. So I, I, I really don't have any uh, idea of what they're going to do. I have not really heard any rumors, but a lot of times these kind of things will circulate on the labor circuit as USD is talking to this organization or that organization. I haven't heard that at all. So uh, I, it will be very interesting to see who they go with. Probably not Vada, just because there's been such a history of kind of like acrimonious uh, back and forth between those two organizations. So I think it probably won't be them. Uh, but maybe it will be U.S. ADA. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and you know, as long as the testing is upheld to the WADA standards, I won't complain too much. And as long as the testing is actually done, because I mean, look at what happens when the proper advanced testing is done. Remember last year after Demetrius Johnson fought Ali Baga Utinov, he got busted for EPO. That's right, and so yeah, we we definitely have seen an, an increase in the quality and, and amount of testing. So. Uh, you know, it was several years ago that, that the state of Nevada said that they were going to do all this out of competition testing, and then nothing happened for a long time. And we've just seen recently those tests kind of implemented. So, uh, you know, it may not be the case that fighters are safe in the, until July. It may be that, that these other state commissions are going to step up. It, it will, you know, there's so many challenges here. Like, what's going to happen? Uh, you know, will these state athletic commissions uphold USC suspensions and you know, how, how all this is going to work is, is an open question. Yeah, it, it's definitely strange. And I mean, I would expect certain commissions that are that I know I, I personally have faith in that are well run, like New Jersey and Ohio. I would expect them to uphold the suspensions. But what about Texas? What about uh, guys? Try, somebody actually mentioned this on Twitter. What about people? suing the UFC to get out of these ex- sorry, these exceptionally long suspensions that are to being talked about two to four years and just going to fight in Asia, going to fight for one FC who doesn't have to deal with commissions anywhere. Yeah, I mean, we've certainly seen fighters, even fighters that you know in the UFC, like Vitor Belfort, who have uh, avoided uh, suspensions uh, by simply going overseas to fight. And, and we may see more and more of that because I think certainly from a legal perspective, a four-year uh, suspension is probably not going to be uh, upheld. You know, that's too long for someone to be held out of work and and, and for a court to approve that, I think it's probably unlikely. So if that's the case, you'll see may have to from these fighters. And, and maybe this will be like, will be uh, how a, a triple group arises in, in Asia or something like that with, with all of these fighters that fail American testing. I don't know. I, it's kind of strange. No, I mean, it, it It definitely remains to be seen what's going to happen. Uh, I know one thing that you mentioned, and I'm certainly in agree with it, agreement with you, is the fighters really need to be talking collective agreement now because with the uniforms, with the code of conduct, with the health plan, with this extreme drug testing now, well, it's not really extreme, it's proper drug testing. I mean, how can you not consider them employees at this point? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, and certainly they, they need to have a, a say in, in, especially if you're talking about draconian punishments, 
kind of at a whim the way UFC tends to do things. Uh, you know, if you're talking about a four-year punishment, I, I certainly think that the athletes need to have a say in, in that process one way or the other. And, and you know, I, I, the time is now, I think, as the UFC would say, for these fighters to kind of take it upon themselves to have a, a louder voice in, in how the sport is going to be run. So this is their opportunity, and, and uh, I'd like to see them uh, pursue it. I agree. You know, um, another point that you made, another point that really needs to be made more often is a lot of the fact that athletes have these high wages and the fact that we have things like statutory holidays, health benefits, vacation days and things like that is because of the unions. So yeah, it's sure. something that the fighters really need to look into if they want to start making that NFL money, that NBA money. Yeah, I mean, the, you, you saw the, the explosion in uh, athlete pay in, in other sports based on, on them coming together as a group and, and bargaining collectively. I think that's where the power will be for UFC fighters, too. I mean, I think we're seeing that uh, compared to boxing and certainly compared to other sports, uh, UFC fighters make a lot less uh, of the rep, you know, a lot less of it to share with them. And part of that is because each of them is bargaining individually. They're only as powerful as they are as, as an individual unit, which frankly is not necessarily that powerful for all but maybe a fighters. So, you know, it, it is important that they come together and and flex their muscle a little bit. I think as a group, like the, the 500-odd UFC fighters are enormously powerful as a group. As an individual, yes. not so much. So I think that that's important for them to consider. Definitely. I mean, uh, you listen to the co-main event podcast as well, right? Because uh, one of your writers, Chad Dundas, is on there with uh, Ben Folks from MMA Junkie. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen to it hoping they're going to mention me one day. It hasn't happened yet, <laughs> but you know, I, I will keep listening until the day that they do. So that, that's one day, of- but... No, I just the reason I bring them up is because on this week's episode, Ben Folks he did some follow up research into a piece he had done on MMA autographs, and he found out that the UFC makes approximately a million dollars a year off autographed posters that they sell, autographed event posters that they have the fighters sign, and then they sell at various events and online. They make a million dollars off that, and the fighters don't even see a cut. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I've not heard this week's episode yet. It has an update on my Stitcher. So uh, maybe it's ah. coming. It's not a Sir Nigel Lonsack episode, though, so I may not. I may not tune in. You know, I kind of I skip every other week. But uh, ah. so I mean, that that's just one of a million things. You know, that uh, there are a lot. The UFC is getting a lot better at monetizing and, and, and finding other sources of revenue the way the WWE has. And uh, it, it's true that they have not been very proactive in sharing that with all the fighters. So uh, that's just one of a number of things that, that fighters should be aware of. And, and realize that they are responsible for a lot of this revenue, and they deserve a piece of it. I, I feel really strongly about that. They're the ones that are taking the physical risks. They're the ones that are stepping into the cage. They are the product. They are the UFC, and, and they certainly deserve uh, their share of, of the revenue that comes in based on that. Definitely. And uh, one last thing, going back to the press conference, is it just me or do they need to make Dana White stick to reading the prepared statements and have Lorenzo Fertitta be the one handling the questions, doing the off the cuff stuff? Because Dana was beyond confrontational. You saw what he did to poor Heidi Fang there, who actually called him on his crap. <laughs> I, I thought it was very, I kind of enjoy the different, the different approaches and, and, and seeing them. It's very stark when you see Lorenzo Fertitta speak 
very rationally, very calm, very professionally presenting what, what seems like a, what, he makes it seem like a reasonable plan when he's talking about what the UFC intends to do. And then he's immediately followed by Dana White, who, who turns right in the face and, and almost feels like he's yelling at everyone in the audience. Like, uh, it's a, it was a stark difference. So I, 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 as someone who enjoys the, the absurd, uh, I, I like seeing Dana White up there in, in that context. And I think it's funny to see him follow Lorenzo like that and, and how differently they, they approach things. But you're right. I mean, as a, a professional organization, maybe the Dana White is not the one you want to do extemporaneous speaking, right? <laughs> to answer questions no, that he's not necessarily prepared for or doesn't have like a, a talking point ready. You know, if he's just left to go off the cuff, uh, things are going to get interesting pretty quickly. I love the, the picture that I posted on my, my Twitter account. And, and I didn't just like show this, this picture. It's how Dana looked throughout the entire press conference, and it's just so sad. You know, he has this sad look on his face. It's like, uh, I don't know, he's like a little boy whose dog just died. And that, that's kind of, I think, how a lot of UFC fans feel about some of these recent steroid test failures. So I, I think it's appropriate. You know, it's, it's appropriate that he be sad. And that the UFC take uh, really serious measures. And I hope that they do. I hope that this isn't just like whistling Dixie. I hope they're not just blowing smoke. I hope that this is a sign of a big change. All right, and so tell everybody, please, where they can find you on social media and uh, any big projects you have coming down the pipeline. Are you working on another book at this point? Uh, what's going on? Yeah, actually, I'm working on a book about the 1980s pro wrestling war. So uh, Brian Alvarez from the, the Wrestling Observer site has written a book called The Death of WCW, and, and I'm kind of writing a book that's similar uh, about the death of the territories. You know, in the, in the olden days, in the 1980s, wrestling was divided into different regional territories across the United States and Canada. And then Vince McMahon came in with the WWE and, and took over. And so that's what my book is about. And uh, I, I'm really happy about the fact that I'm writing it. And uh, probably you'll see it in 2016. Awesome. And uh, where can everybody find you on social media as well? Uh, I am at MMA Encyclopedia on Twitter. I don't really have Instagram or, or any of those other things. And you can find me on BleachReport.com, writing about the UFC, about WWE, and also boxing. All right. Uh, thanks again for your time, Jonathan. Once again, he is Jonathan Snowden, the lead writer of BleacherReport.com for their UFC coverage, and as well as a leading figure for their professional wrestling and boxing coverage. Uh, thank you for your time, and I'm going to throw this back to Jeremy after a word from our sponsors. Amazon.com. Yes, you see the link on our Sucker Radio page here at MMASucker.com. And if you click that link, they'll take you there. If you buy something, they'll kick a little bit back to us. That's right. That's how it works. Amazon.com has anything you need MMA media related. They've got the MMA Encyclopedia from my guest today, Jonathan Snowden. They've got Bruce Buffer's book. they got all kinds of things that you could care to know or care to find. So go there. Yeah, maybe you, got, maybe you forgot Valentine's Day. Maybe you need to get something for your uh, significant other. Well, Amazon.com can help you out. And they can even get it shipped to you overnight with free shipping on orders over $35. 
And no, if you click our link, they won't have any extra surcharges. It won't cost you anything extra. All it means is that if you click our link and buy something at Amazon.com, they'll kick a little bit back to us to help us pay for production costs. Because after all, bandwidth and microphones aren't cheap. So, click the link for Amazon.com when you need to get something and help us out. All right. Joining me now are two of Canada's most well-known MMA writers and the hosts of the Parting Shot podcast. Please welcome James Lynch and Adam Martin to the show. Thanks a bunch, fellas. Thanks, Jeremy. Glad to be on. Appreciate it, Jeremy. It's the first time I've been on, I think, right? It has, which is pretty crazy. I think we we, yeah. we phoned Carlin to come on the show one time. You were in the background, I believe. Do they want me on? Do they want me on? Do they want me on? It was one of those nights. I was like begging. Yeah, I was probably begging to get on. It was one of those. It's a good show. It was one of those nights, you know, when Carlin had a few too many wobbly pops and uh, we, ended up, every night. we <laughs> ended up like not having him on. <laughs> <laughs> Those were some of the good shows, though, when when we could call him randomly and and have him talk out of his butthole pretty much because he had too much to drink. Yeah. Well, now he has a child and he has to be a civilized human being, right? Exactly. So. Well, somewhat. <laughs> All right. So today or on Tuesday, the Nevada State Athletic Commission had their meeting, and it seemed to be a bloody joke. I mean, there was singing, there was a ton of stuff going on. People weren't on the calls, like. Francisco Rivera was supposed to be on the call. It took him forever to get on. Let's talk about some of the stuff that happened. Adam, first order of business, obviously, was the Francisco Rivera versus Uriah Faber bout. They ultimately said they had no power to overturn the decision. What did you think? Yeah, uh, well, first off, I mean, that eye poke was so blatant. I, I saw it right away. Uh, and I, I was kind of, I was actually kind of multitasking at the time when, when that fight was going on in December. And Joe Rogan's like, oh, he got hit with a punch. Like, no, he didn't. And during the meeting, they actually showed like the footage of the fight, but they used Joe Rogan's commentary. And his commentary was so biased. It was like, Uriah, Uriah rocked him. Like, it's like, no, he didn't. He eye poked it. So clear. So, first off, you know, they shouldn't have used that, that footage. They should have used it without any commentary. Because the uh, referee wouldn't have heard the commentary being in the cage. Uh, second off, uh, speaking of Mario Yamasaki, the referee, I mean, he first off, it's his fault this happened. I mean, he didn't do his job. He didn't see the eye poke. But like I said, you know, it's it's MMA. It's, it goes fast. It's a very fast sport. And that thing will happen. But, you know, if they can't overturn this, what can they overturn? Like, th- that's that's my question. Like, it was such a blatant eye poke. And right away, he went into a defensive shell. And Mario was like, oh, it's his fault, you know, for turtling up. Well, what else are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like, they tell you to defend yourself at all times. Imagine he had not, um, you know, just imagine he got eye poked and then just stood there and, like, put his hands down and was like, oh, my eye. And then he got knocked out or something. Like, remember, like, Frank Trey versus Matt Hughes where he, like, put, kicked him in the groin and then we saw what happened there? Like, that could have happened there. So I think he did the right thing. I think Mario missed the call. And I think the Nevada Athletic Commission's a, a, like, a complete joke, like you were saying, Jeremy. Like, honestly... Yeah. They can't overturn this. What can they overturn? And not only that, they had the option of using replay. They had the option during that night, and they didn't go to it. Like, there has to be someone sitting there saying, hey, go to the replay right now. Like, it was on a big screen. They saw it there. So, I mean, I feel bad for Rivera. Um, it's tough because you can't really take away the win from Faber. Like, I understand that. But at the same time, it's like, that's not really a win. Like, he was actually losing that fight. Like, he lost the first round of that fight. And he was coming back. But still, I mean, I poke Landry Rivera like a choke. It's, it's tough, man. It's tough. It's just weird to me how they use like replay. They've used it before during the Matt Hamill versus John Jones fight. Like they used replay during that fight, and they found that the elbows that John Jones knocked out Matt Hamill with were illegal elbows. That's why he lost by DQ. 
you know, I wouldn't say this should be a DQ situation, but why was this not a no contest that night? So there, there's a lot of fixing needs to be done. I went on a little bit of mini rant there, but that really bothered me. I feel bad for Rivera. I mean, that's a loss to his record that really shouldn't be there. Yeah, for sure. And and James, what do you think about the whole, the fact that the Nevada State Athletic Commission actually called themselves powerless? How much of a joke is that? Yeah, it just seems like the you know the, this whole organization is just looking like a complete joke at this point. And I think if you wanted to point to any fight where something could be overturned, this was the fight to do it. And they they totally yep. dropped the ball. Um, you know, it's just very disappointing. It really seems like uh, you know there's not a lot of clarity on that end. I also wonder too, you know, why isn't there like a third party ref in these meetings to kind of you know bring some clarity here? Like Adam yeah. mentioned, you know, the the Rogan commentary, you know, it could be taken as a form of bias. Yamasaki could be biased himself. I mean, we don't have any sort of mediator that can really, you know, kind of uh, regulate this properly. And uh, it just seems like the commission doesn't really know exactly what the rules are, what, you know, how things are supposed to be done. You know, the worst part here is, forget about the no contest. You know, no one here is going to be held accountable for not using the replay that night. They definitely should have. So it's just disappointing all around. And the guy I feel the worst for is, you know, Francisco Rivera, because, you know, they're not going to give him a rematch with Faber. Faber's fighting Frankie Edgar. And, you know, to me, it was a lost opportunity on his end for something that, he you know, is kind of just unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. He was winning the fight. Don't forget that he was winning yeah. that fight like as yeah, a huge underdog I mean, yeah. too so it's just it's just a bad situation definitely uh so moving on obviously there were three other fighters that uh received temporary um suspensions off the top anderson silva he popped for another test earlier this week as well this time post fight uh james what are your thoughts on this i was you know we I, myself i was surprised when it was first announced but now yeah. none of this shit seems to catch me off guard anymore. No, it just seems like he totally disregarded any sort of, you know, testing or anything like that. As far as, you know, trying to be clean, it's uh, it's just, you know, it seems like it can't get any worse from here. But, uh, you know, today it definitely did. And, and you know, it's, it's unfortunate. You really have to question now, you know, Anderson Silva and, and, you know, whether his other fights perhaps, you know, maybe had the same sort of thing. I mean, it's difficult to say at this point. It certainly hurts his, his legacy. I mean, uh, you never want a guy to kind of go out like this. And, you know, I'm not saying he's completely done, but it certainly doesn't help a situation, especially with his age and everything like that. So very surprising, but uh, yeah, just very disappointing. And uh, again, that Black House camp, uh, you know, I've had a couple guys there who've had some issues, uh, you know, with performance enhancing drugs and just a bad look all around. And, uh, you know, Kat Zingano's got a fight coming up and she has ties to Black House. And, uh, you know, you hope oh. nothing comes out from her either. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to paint a bad picture here, but uh, yeah. that camp definitely has to be questioned. And uh, just, yeah, very disappointing. And very disappointing for any fans of Anderson Silva at this point because it's tough to be a fan of him at this point. Yeah, for sure. Adam, how would you deal with this? situation i mean there are so many different opinions out there some think the fighters should be completely banned other things others think they should be suspended what's your sort of mindset well it's been over a week now i'm still sick about it to be honest with you jeremy like i was actually just at the gym and i was talking to a few guys about it and you know people have different opinions on the, on this like i'm I, i'm a staunch advocate of no peds in mma and a lot of people are like oh well it's better that they're on peds so they can fight better like that's such bad logic like these Mm-hmm. PEDs are not just illegal in MMA. It's illegal in like real life. Like you can't you can't have this stuff like on you. Like it's illegal. So mm-hmm. I'm super disappointed. Anderson. I'm actually kind of sick of him. I lost a lot of respect for him. Like a lot of respect, especially hearing he got caught for just standalone, which is like a super steroid today. Plus the two anti-anxiety pills. I'm not too worried about those. I don't know what those are for, but the three steroids caught in a system within the last month. That's just disgusting. Like I'm actually really sick right now, Jeremy. To be honest with you. Yeah. Um, Anderson. You know, this is a guy that I've looked up to my whole life. Like. You know, I'm not I'm not a professional or anything, but I am, you know, I do train MMA and it's a guy I've looked up to for years, you know, as a martial artist. And 
to hear like this, like it makes it, it makes me wonder about his whole career, but I'm not going to get into that because we don't have any proof about it. But as far as this fight goes, I mean, I think they should throw the book at him. I really do. I think, you know, usually it's nine months for a first time offense and it's Anderson or whatever, but still, I think they should give him at least a year, at least a year for these three or five, five PDs, I should say, well, PDs, five banned substances, I should yeah, say. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, you know, I don't know what those anti-anxiety pills are for, so I'm not going to call them a PD, but they're definitely banned substances and they're not supposed to be used. So the guy was cheating, man. Like uh, our friend uh, Grabaka Hitman on Twitter, he said that he raided a pharmacy. That's basically what he was doing. He had five banned substances in his system. Like it's it insane. really makes me wonder, man. It's just it, – Jeremy, I'm still sick about it, honestly. Do you think mm-hmm. that, that that could be the reason why he said post-fight, you know, my kids don't want me to fight anymore. I don't know what's next for me. You think he was worried? I don't know. Like, honestly, like, well, first off, he knew what he was doing. I mean, you know, like he, he can't just keep saying like, oh, I didn't know. Like there's five things in your system that are like banned. It's not just like one thing. If it was one thing with Anderson, I mean, I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt because like knowing what happened now, but at the same time, it's like, it's Anderson, one little thing, like maybe, you know, he took a bad protegic. I don't know. Like people have said that in the past, but five things like this guy was cheating, man. He was, he's a cheater. And I've lost a lot of respect for the guy. I don't really care if he's the greatest of all time. Like, I'm so sick of this. The guy's a cheater, man. And yeah, the, uh, the one thing I'll mention, too, yeah. uh, you know, on, on this topic is. Hello? James? Is he rushing back uh, too soon? Uh, you know, is the UFC pressuring him to come back? I don't buy that excuse either. I mean, he's either. a professional. He's been around here long enough. I yeah. mean, it's it's very obvious that, uh, you know, if the UFC wanted him to come back, he could say no. He's got lots of money. It's not like he needed to come back. If the UFC was pressuring him, Anderson Silva's a big boy. He, he can, you know, step up to the plate and say, hey, listen, I'm not ready. I don't feel comfortable coming back. Uh, George St. Pierre is still not fighting. And if he can do it, yep. then Anderson Silva can refuse too. So I don't buy that excuse either. And, and you know, just like Adam said, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. He he did cheat in this fight, and uh, yeah. it's just disappointing because if if Anderson would have gone out and not fought at all, I mean, people would still call him a legend. I don't think anyone would take anything away from the fact that you know he you know ended up breaking his leg and you know taunting Weidman and losing the two times of Weidman. But uh, now it's just like it just makes it so much worse. It kind of reminds me of like when Jordan came back to play for the Wizards. I mean, it's yeah. just, you want to forget <laughs> that chapter, you know? And it wasn't the greatest performance of all time either. I mean, many people yeah. question this performance against Nick Diaz. Yeah, yeah that's well, why it was really I, I'll, weird. I'll, I'll, I'll cut him a bit of slack on that just because, I mean, coming back, I, you know, I, I think for people to go expect him to go and finish a guy like Nick Diaz, who's very tough to finish, I kind of give him a pass on that. But uh, you're, you're right, Jeremy, not not what we're used to seeing from Silva. But, uh, you know, in that regard, I, I think, uh, you know, the steroids de- definitely didn't help him because I think it was one of his, his not so great performances. I'm just so sick of people defending him. Like, I don't care if it's Anderson Silva. It's a guy who's a fighter and he cheated. Like, it doesn't matter what his name is. Like, honestly, that's that's the thing that bothers me, though. It's like, oh, it's Anderson. Give him a pass. No, don't give him a pass. Why yeah, would you give him a pass? And it's and not people, it, though. It's not just the people. I mean, look at what the UFC did for John Jones. I mean, I don't want to yeah. step on the UFC's toes or, or say that, oh, yeah, they're doing this and they're doing this. But we saw what they did with John Jones and his cocaine usage. They, they put him in rehab. They're going to do the same with Anderson Silva. They're not going to put him in rehab. But it's going to be a slap on the wrist, as in comparison yeah. oh, to yeah. one of their lower tiered guys. Well, John Jones exactly. got one; he had one day in rehab, and that wasn't forced on him per se. But I think it was like more of a PR move that he went and did it. But still, like you said, Jeremy, I, I think they're really going to give him a slap on the wrist. Like they're not going to do anything. Like remember, he was supposed to coach Tough Brazil. Remember that? And yeah. then there was some backlash on social media, and they they do listen to the people on 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 Twitter, and people were bothered by that. I was really bothered. By that. I'm like, why? Why is he going to coach Tough Brazil? He's going to get another paycheck because he cheated. This is a privilege. It's but, a privilege to fight in the UFC. And yeah. Anderson, Anderson, honestly really disappointed me and I don't know man I'm just so bothered by this whole thing 
All right, let's move on to the other side of the coin then. Sure. Nick Diaz, obviously, tested positive for weed. No one's surprised <laughs> by that. Not a shock. Yes. But guys no. have been suspended and others have been kicked out of the UFC because of it. So, you know, personally speaking, if a guy's going to go out there and he's going to smoke a joint not on fight night, outside of fight week, outside of camp, whatever... Marijuana is not a performance-enhancing drug, and no. I've said this. No. I've said this to other people. I said that you know what? If a guy can make weight while he's uh, smoking weed, good on him. So, would you agree that the weed is a little different? It's not a performance-enhancing drug, James. Of course, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, absolutely. It's no, you know, Isaac Valley Flag had a tweet today saying, you know, what's the difference between doing that and having a drink during your fight camp if you're stressed out? I mean. We all know it's not a performance-enhancing drug. It's one of those dumb things that, for whatever reason, they haven't changed or taken out. I mean, there's overwhelming evidence to show that it's not a performance-enhancing drug. Uh, you know, if anything, it's you know it's something that I think uh, you know what slows your reaction time in a lot of cases. So I, you know, to the fact that this is still there, it's kind of it's kind of a joke, and it's unfortunate that Diaz is kind of being uh, you know g- going to be kind of the poster boy for this because he's been busted a couple times for it. But uh, you know what? Nick Diaz, not someone who responds to authority very well, you know, hasn't shown up for press conferences. Doesn't surprise me at all that this happened. But uh, I guess the good news for him is this is kind of flying under the radar with all the other fiascos that have been going on with Lombard and Silva. (laughs) Adam, as James said there, uh, this is flying under the radar a little bit. True. But guys like Matt Riddle have popped a couple times, got kicked out of the UFC. It's it's completely ridiculous. It is. Well, like I agree 100% with James. As someone who smoked pot before, I mean, it is not a four-sanded drug unless you're in a PT eating contest or something like that. Like, <laughs> it's not a PD. Like, and it's, you know what? Listen, like, it's not like he did it on fight night either. If he was stoned during the fight, that's just stupid. Like, why would you do that? You know what I mean? That's just, not, you're not going to have fun. You're not going to relax. It's dumb. He wasn't stoned during the fight. He smoked a joint probably like a few weeks before the fight, which is dumb because he knew he was going to get tested for it. Nick's not a smart guy. Or Sorry, he is a smart guy, but he's not someone that responds to their authority figures very well. He's obviously a smart guy though. I mean, the guy's making a lot of bank, man. You know, he's not stupid or anything like that, but he just didn't care. He didn't care. He wanted to have this huge payday. He just didn't care, honestly. But it, like I said, it's not like he was stoned during the fight. There's no like safety violation here or something like that. Like it's not like he was baked during the fight. He smoked a joint like um, three weeks before the fight probably. And, you know, just had it still in the system. Um, I will say that they, they did increase the, the drug, like the, uh, What's it called? It's like uh, nanograms per milliliter. I think that's what it is, or deciliter, something like that. I, sorry, I don't know the exact terminology, but they increased the amount of like THC or yeah, THC metabolites so you can have in yeah. your system. And you know, his wasn't like it was over that limit. But look at a guy like Pat Healy too. Like you, you mentioned, Matt Riddle. Look at Pat Healy, Jeremy. They stripped him of hundred and thirty thousand dollars worth of post fight bonuses because he smoked a joint a month before his fight, and he said that yeah. he was going through a depression and he smoked a joint during his fight camp. And you know what? That's I think it's fine, honestly. Like, again, it's against the rules, but I think guys should be allowed to use it. Cub Swanson had a tweet today saying, like, hey, you know, guys are using painkillers. Why don't we let guys use medicinal marijuana? I think it's fine, honestly, personally. I, I think it's I think it's a, I think it's a good thing for these guys because they're they take a beatings during the fight, especially a guy like I'm Nick. Stressed you know what, out. What's yeah. brain trauma he's taken? Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. look when he's punches he's eaten in his life. And sparring, these guys have an extremely difficult job. If they can't smoke pot, what are they gonna do? They're just gonna drink. Like, it's tough, man. Look at a guy like Drew Fickett. You know, maybe he didn't smoke pot. Maybe he just drank and look at him. Like, it's it's tough, you know? Tough sport. Um, But yeah, as far as like the whole contradiction with Matt Riddle, like, that's just ridiculous. Matt Riddle's a great fighter. He really is. He's a great fighter. He should be in the UFC and Dana Cunningham because he's a prelim fighter. He doesn't bring in, you know, millions of, of pay-per-view buys. Or I shouldn't say millions of pay-per-view buys, but hundreds of thousands of pay-per-view buys. You know, he's a, he's a smaller guy on the, on the ladder. But still, I, I just don't like the whole inconsistency in these policies. You cut Matt Riddle because he failed twice. Nick's failed three times, twice in the UFC. You know, why does he get to stay? 
Yeah, yeah. Let's let's move away from the drugs and talk some actual fights. This past weekend, <laughs> Neil Magny won his sixth fight in a row. I know I was tweeting with Adam about this, and I've spoke with a few others as well. Adam, do you think that the UFC has given him too many guys that are at the same sort of ranking, which in turn hasn't let him jump up the ladder at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they've built they've been building him slowly, which is not a bad thing necessarily. I think some things they rush guys up the ladder, honestly, and. Neil's only 27. People forget that. I think he's like in his 30s or something. He's only 27. He's young. He's finally like using his reach well. You know what I mean? Like he's he's a guy that he was knocked out by Mike Ricci on the show. I actually just watched that fight the other day and it was a brutal knockout with, with an elbow against the fence. That wouldn't happen now. I would I would definitely take Neil Magny to rematch. Like he's learned to use his reach and stay away from guys, stay away from the fence. But still, you know, I agree. Like look at, look at the guys he's fought. I'm looking at his record right now. Kichi Kunamoto. William Macario, Alex Garcia, Rodrigo de Lima, Tim Means, Gasar Molotov. These guys are very, like, you know, mid-tier fighters, I would say. All these guys. Um, obviously, a guy like Garcia or a guy like Means, they're, 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 they're good, but, you know, they're not, like, anything special. He needs he needs to step up. Like, he needs to definitely fight a top 15 guy. Um, but who do they give him? I'm not sure. There's a lot of options right now, to be honest. Like, if you look at the, if you look at the, uh, the rankings, and I'm not a part of the UFC rankings, but I don't think they did a terrible job with the welterweight rankings. Like, there's a few guys that are like Tiago Alves, Rick Story. These guys are ranked 10 to 15. I think that's the kind of guy he should get next because what's the point of just building him up, fighting these, I wouldn't say cans, but, you know, mid-tier fighters. Kichi Kunamoto, like, really, is he that good? No, not really. He's, he's, yeah. he's mediocre. So it's time for a step up, uh, and we'll see what he's made of because, remember, this is a guy who lost to Seth Pazinski just a year and a half ago. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's not like he's – an amazing fighter or anything that like, he's looking good and, and getting better, but let's, let's see him fight a real fighter and see what happens. James in yeah. the main yeah. event. Yeah. yeah, go on. Go oh, on. Well, I was, I was just going to say, I think, uh, I think Magny's just kind of been a, uh, beneficiary of a guy who's just kind of had some luck. And what, what I mean by yeah. that is I don't think the UFC intentionally tried to build him up like this. I just think it's the <laughs> fact that guys were taken and, and he, cause you remember he was supposed to fight Koscheck initially. And you know, for some reason that's they right. moved him yeah. with the, with the fight with Ellenberger. I think he's yeah. just a guy that's been fortunate in terms of his opponents. And, you know, even before this fight uh, took place, I mean, Magny was a clear favorite in this one. And I, I think a lot yeah. of people didn't see Kunimoto winning this one. So he's just been a beneficiary of, of, I think, a good schedule. And I even tweeted this on Saturday. You know, I don't know a fighter who's had an easier winning streak, uh, you know, than, than Neil Magny has. And it's not to take anything away from him, but I, I, you know, I'm looking at the top 10 here and I see a lot of guys that could probably beat him. As far as an opponent for him, um, you know, someone in the top 10, but, uh, you know, Rick Story, Dung Young Kim, uh, even, even Carlos Condit, I think would be a good fight for him just because Condit's a guy who needs to get a win. And I think it's a very capable fight of, of him uh, getting, uh, you know, fighting a guy like Neil Magny. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just, it's one of those weird, rare things that happens in, in MMA where a guy can kind of go on a bit of a winning streak. Reminds me a bit of when uh, Patrick Cote was in the middleweight division and, you know, he was fighting guys like Drew McFedries, Kendall Grove, guys like that when, when the division just really didn't have a lot of contenders or, or guys that were really kind of on the upper echelon. So Magny's just, I guess, just kind of benefited from a, from a bit of a kind of a guys already being booked up and, and the UFC not really know, uh, knowing what to do with them. Yeah, however, welterweight is a, a little different than that middleweight division back yes. then. I mean, they, ha- they have a ton of fighters in the welterweight division. I don't know if I'd give them Carlos Condit just yet, but Rick Story, I sort of like that one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, I, you know, Rick's a, sorry, James, let me, let me just uh, go forward. Um, Rick's, he's a gatekeeper at this point, but he's still a very capable fighter himself. He just beat Gunnar Nelson. You know, he's a guy who has a win over Johnny Hendricks. If Neil Maggie could beat him, I mean, that shows he's ready for a top guy like Carlos Condit, but I want to see that first because, 
you know, beating a guy like Kichi Kudamono, James, like you mentioned, he's a big favorite. He was like minus 850 or something. Like everyone expected him to win this fight. It's not like it was a shocker. Like, oh my God, he got a sixth win in a row. People were like, oh, come on, give him a step up. When that fight was announced, I was like, what the heck? Like you said, you know, he's supposed to fight Koshchek. Koshchek didn't want to fight him from what I heard. From what I've heard, Koshchek said, I'm not fighting this guy. He doesn't have a name, you know, and I, I don't know what he does next, but I think Rick Story is a good fight. Or you know what? The winner of Koshchek and Ellenberger, that'd be a good fight too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. In the main event, Benson Henderson outworked Brandon Thatch, finally able to tap him out. What do you think is next for the former champ, James? Do you think he stays at welterweight? Should he go back down to lightweight? Should he look at super fights? What What do you think is next for Benson Henderson? I think he stays at 170. I think, you know, 155 yeah. is a bit too crowded right now. He did look a yeah. little undersized in that fight. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see him take a bit of time off and build some muscle on there. Uh, you know, I, I'd say if when he walked in the cage, he probably was about 175. I mean, Brandon Thatch looked like he was about 190 walking in there. And again, this is just kind of my, uh, you know, kind of what I, I gauged watching as a, as a, you know, fan on Saturday or whatever. But, uh, it's yeah to me i i do think he'll have more success at welterweight um as far as what's next for him i mean again someone that's kind of fresh in the division that uh you know could give him a good test i think you know someone like tiago alves coming off that impressive win over jordan mean he's a guy that i think you could throw at him or, or someone like lorenz larkin who looked great when he made the drop to uh, 170 so i think you know these aren't big name guys but i think at the same time you know benson's got to kind of go steady he did get a great win here over thatch but uh you know i'm not sure how he does against a guy like he called out rory mcdonald and i think rory would dominate him personally oh yeah i think he would he wouldn't get away with the same things he got away with with thatch not just with the cardio but also you know he's going to face guys with better ground game than brandon thatch so um like i said i think alvis or larkin is kind of uh, what i'm thinking for uh you know what's next for benson henderson you want me to talk jerry go for it yeah i thought yeah, you were I going mean, to <laughs> i want i want to fight carl's condit that's the fight i want to see i think it'd be a great fight it's a main event for a fight night card Carl's Connick needs a name opponent. You know, Benson Henderson coming off a good win over Brandon Thatch, and he's a former lightweight champion. Carl's Connick's the former interim welterweight champion. I think it'd be a tremendous fight, and I think it's a winnable fight for for Connick to get back in the winning ways. But you know what? I wouldn't be shocked if Benson could pull that fight out. I mean, Carl's has been taking down almost every one of his losses, and Benson's a very good wrestler. You know, Brandon Thatch definitely needs to work on his ground game and his takedown defense. But, you know, I, I, I just think... Benson is just that good of a wrestler. He's taking down tons of guys. He took down Frankie. You know, Frankie's a great wrestler. Took him down. Took down, uh, well, Josh Thompson should have won that fight. Still, you know, he took down Melendez, <laughs> I think, a few times too. The guy's a great fighter, man. He really is. And uh, I definitely stepped on in this fight with the size difference. But uh, he proved to me that, you know, he's he's capable of being a guy like Thatch. Thatch is one of the biggest welterweights in the division. I, you know, a guy like Magny, he's a guy with a long reach. You know, I think, I think, uh, I think Benson could do well against a guy like that. I think you can get inside the region, take him down, you know, so we'll see what happens. But I, I think you should stay at 170, honestly. Mm-hmm. A- Adam, do you think that for Thatch, do you think it was him sort of not being ready for a guy like Benson Henderson getting outworked? Or do you think it was him gassing and, and not being able to make it past the first two rounds? I mean, we haven't seen him out of the first round in ages. Yeah, I was definitely invested in, in Brandon Thatch in this fight. So to see him kind of lose like that was hard. But I think... There's a few things. First off, I mean, the pressure of fighting in the main event in Broomfield was de- definitely got to him. I underestimated that. He even talked about it on our show last week on the party shot. He was talking about the, how he was facing some pressure, but he liked the pressure. I, I think it was a lot for him. Fighting out like Benson in the main event, it's tough. I think fighting in his first five-round fight was really difficult for him. I mean, I don't think he was ready to go five rounds. He looked like he was definitely gassing, like you said. I don't think it was an elevation thing. I just don't think he was ready to go five rounds against a guy like Henderson because – most of, most of the Thatch's fights just take place on the feet, right? Like, he doesn't grapple that much. And grappling, the cardio for grappling is a lot different. And when Benson was taking him down, he was looking so tired. Um, not, only, not only that, but I think in the first few rounds, I think that was his best chance to win. Like, he landed some nice, 
you know, strikes on Benson, power strikes. He landed a head kick that rocked Benson uh, slightly at one point. And I feel like he did, he just kind of let up. I feel like he was pacing himself a bit too much. And I was actually talking to a, a teammate of his, Jared Mercado, and he was said the same thing. You know, he's like, I, you know, I love Brandon, but I think he was pacing himself for a five-round fight because he was, you know, first first time doing it. And I think he, he kind of let go of what he does best. And I think he let Benson fight his fight. So, you know, Brandon's only 29. He still has a, a bright future of the sport, but uh, – you know, I was one of the guys saying he could be a future champion. He definitely needs to clean up his takedown defense. I mean, getting taken down by Benson again, great wrestler, but it looked too, it looked easy for Benson. Maybe it was the maybe it was the cardio thing. I don't know, but I just feel like Brandon has some things to work on in his ground game. But I think you know what? I think he can come back better than ever, and I'm um, really looking forward to seeing his next fight because I think the guy is still has a lot of potential. And he's only 29. He only has like 12 fights. He only has like 12 pro fights. Like he's yeah. not like you know he's he's not like Jordan Meehan where he's got 40 fights. He's a finished product. Brandon's still developing, and I still think he has some potential. <laughs> All right, we had UFC last weekend. We have UFC this weekend. It's on Sunday, and it's sort of flying under a little bit of the radar. I mean, Bigfoot Silva will take on Frank Muir in the main event. James, who are you taking and and how? I talked about this on the Parting Shot podcast this past weekend. Uh, I think Antonio Silva is going to win this fight, and I think he's going to win a decision. And a lot of people are going to call me crazy on this, but I just don't see him going for broke and trying to knock out Mir. I see this being kind of just a long, drawn-out fight, and I think it's going to be really boring. I don't think we're going to see a really, you know, amazing fight. Uh, I think this is going to play out very similar to Alistair Overeem and you know Frank Mir, where Overeem just kind of picked his shots and won a decision. I think Silva is going to try and do the same thing. The only question here, well, I mean, there's lots of questions heading into this fight, but you know, obviously. Where is Antonio Silva's chin? It looked pretty bad in that fight against Arlovsky. Arlovsky, a guy who hasn't been knocking out a lot of opponents in his last couple fights. Uh, you have to wonder if him coming off, you know, getting busted for PEDs, him coming off that, you know, you wonder if that's had an effect. And then Frank Mir, you know, let's not forget, he hasn't fought since that Overeem fight. It's been a very long time uh, since we've seen him in the cage. So, you know, is the ring rust going to be a factor? It's, it's possible. But uh, I think this might be one of the worst main events we're going to see all year. But I do see Antonio Silva get, getting it done and, like I said, doing it in a very lackluster decision. Do you think that's why it's flying under the radar? I, I think it absolutely. And I think, you know, fans, uh, you know, uh, everyone says that, you know, Antonio Silva and Mir are big names. But to me, I think this is such a disservice to Edson Barbosa and Michael Johnson. This should really be the main event, in my opinion. You've got Frank Mir, who's, you know, four losses in a row. Antonio Silva's coming off a bunch of losses, too. I just think it's, I mean, UFC's got to quit relying on, on name fighters and really start giving the guys that are, you know, putting the work in and getting their wins here and there and, and put, you know, put them in the spotlight. People might not like it, but at least then we're calling this a sport instead of rewarding guys for coming off losses. So that's definitely why it's flying under the radar because nobody cares. Adam, who are you taking? Well, first off, James, you better bet on Silva by five round decision because it's plus seven eighty. So I mean, if you like yeah. that, you should <laughs> bet on that, man. I know you will yeah, be. Right. Um, this fight can go either way to me. Honestly, it's a, it's a toss up fight. First off, it's a terrible main event. I mean, these guys are both on the downside of their careers. I, I'm sorry to say, it. I like I liked Bigfoot anyways, like especially with that hunt fight. But I mean, PDs. Bad chin. I mean, this guy. You can't. You can't put your money on this guy. He's like minus three hundred now, almost. Like it's crazy. Mir, he's lost four in a row. He looked. He's looked terrible. When was the last time Mir really looked good? Like I was thinking about it. Even the fight against Nogueira, which was like four years ago, which I was there for, he got knocked down in that fight and then got the submission. Like he wasn't looking good at all. It's it's been a long time since he's really looked good. He fought Roy Nelson and he out wrestled him that one time. Roy was sick and he fought um, Mirko Krokop and knocked him out. The real the the last time he looked exceptional was against Chia Kong was six years ago. I mean, Mir is on a huge downswing and 
people are saying he's a big, big name and stuff. Like, and he, he deserves this main event slot. I don't agree to that at all. I don't think anyone talks about Mir anymore. I think Mir's, like I said, on the downside of his career, Bigfoot should not be in a main event either. This guy's he's win this his last three fights. His last, you know, win came over Overeem in a fight he was getting absolutely dominated in, and then came back and won in the third round. Good for him, but still, like the guy, you know, I like him because he did put on that fight with Hunt, which was one of my favorite fights of all time. But still. Got hot for PDs, has a bad chin. He had brain surgery too, which no one talks about. Dr. Johnny Benjamin actually mentioned that to me, and I, I went and uh, Googled it. I was like, oh, yeah, he got that surgery in his freaking brain after the punt fight. So <laughs> this guy wow. should not be fighting anymore. Neither yeah. of you guys should be. So terrible main event. I lean slightly towards Silva. Probably gets a finish because Mir's chin is really bad. But still, I, I mean, this is a fight go either way. The rest of the card, I mean, it's not terrible. It, there's not a ton of name talent on the card. I, I like the fight that's kicking off the main card, Sean Strickland, Santiago yes. Pontanibio. Strickland, uh, he was a guest of mine last week. This guy's got yeah, some serious good. talent. He's really good. Uh, yeah. The rest of the main card, I mean, there's six fights on it. It, it looks decent. Uh, James, what fight are you looking forward to? Not necessarily on the main card, but the entire card overall. Is there anything else that you're sort of itching to see? Uh, I'm I'm a little intrigued by the Matt Dwyer uh, William Macario fight. Dwyer looked horrible in his UFC debut, and uh, you know he's a BC <laughs> guy. I want to see him do well. He's done very. You know he had that big win in the Battlefield Fight League against uh, Demarcus Johnson. Um, he's still got to work on his striking defense. That's what really worries me in this fight. Um, I am intrigued by that fight, but honestly, overall, I, the fight, like I mentioned, that I'm really you know kind of jonesing for is Barbosa and Johnson. I mean, what a great fight in the lightweight division. Uh, you know, lightweight's a bit of a mess right now. Uh, a big win for either guy could really propel them up the rankings. And the other fight. I like too is uh, Cesar Ferrer and Sam Alvey. Sam Alvey's a guy who always brings it. People make fun of his striking and this and that, that he's not very technical, but hey, I'll, I'll pay money to watch Sam Alvey fight. He always has a smile on his face and always comes forward. So uh, those are kind of the two big fights, three fights I should say that I'm looking forward to on this card. Adam, as a as a betting man, which fights are you looking forward to? You know what? When I first looked at the card, I was like, this card sucks. But the more I've looked into it, to be honest, I think it's going to be an extremely exciting card. I think there's going to be like a lot of finishes. Like I see maybe there's, I think there's 12 fights in the card. I think there's yeah. going to be like seven or eight finishes. So that's good for fans that like finishes. Again, not saying that necessarily means a good fight, but uh, I definitely see some exciting fights. The ones I'm looking forward to, um, actually, uh, what's his name? Rusam Habilov, he, he had that fight with Benson Henderson. He looked great in that fight. Obviously lost at the end, but still looked great in that fight. He's taking on Adrian Martins, who uh, was looking good against Donald Cerrone before he knocked out. Both these guys are very capable fighters, and the winner would definitely take a step up. I like that fight in the lightweight division. And uh, you mentioned Sean Strickland. I'm really high on this guy. He's uh, Walter, uh, welterweight now. He was at middleweight. Yeah, this is his first what, welterweight fight. Yes, it is. And he's training with Lorenz Larkin, who just made his welterweight debut, and he knocked out John Howard. I think both these guys trained together at uh, Millennium MMA down in California with Georgie Carhanian. That's a good camp, and I think he's going to look really good in this fight against Ponzinibbio. I think that's going to be a great fight. And you know what? I think the women's fight's going to be really good, too. I think it's going to be a very exciting fight. Could be fight of the night. Jessica Andrade versus Marion Renault. Marion Renault. She's older. I didn't give her any credit against uh, her last opponent, Alexis Dufresne, and she looked amazing in that fight. Really, really took it to her. She is 37. She's, like I said, an older lady, but she only has like five fights, so she hasn't taken much damage. And Jessica Andrade, it's completely opposite because she's like, I think, 23, and she's like 15 fights. So it's like it's like a switcheroo, but it's going to be a really exciting fight that takes place probably on the feet. And uh, one more fight I like as well is... Wendell Oliveira versus TJ Wahlberger. That fight's not going the distance. Like, both these guys do not have good chins, do not have, you know, just do not have the skills to be a UFC fighter. I think someone's going to finish brutally in that fight, so I'm looking forward to that one too. I like uh, Switcheroo. I, I like that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Betting-wise, though, Adam, I mean, this is, yeah. it's a tough it's a tough card to bet on. Yeah, Would you tough. not agree? 
it's brutal, man. Honestly, like and I, I'm a guy who bets on literally every card. This one I'm like looking at and I'm like, <sighs> very few guys like. Sorry, guys, but I really like Macario. I know, you know, Matt Dwyer's a BC guy, but I like Macario there. That's the one guy I really like, and I like Strickland. I like those two guys. I do like Yuri Alcantara. He's a big favorite over Frankie Sines, but I think it's going to be a knife and underdog. I think a lot of dogs are going to win. I think Sam Alvey, plus 240, has a great chance of winning. Yep. Um, Michael Johnson, plus 115, I think that's a close fight. He could win. I think, uh, I think you know what? Honestly, Frank Muir could knock out Bigfoot. I wouldn't be shocked at all. He's plus 245. I think a lot of dogs are going to win, so I think Better's got to be careful in this card. Again, someone who's, you know, that's all the time, you know, you got to be careful sometimes. And I think this is one of those cards that where there's a lot of question marks, a lot of question marks. Like, like again, like Frank Mir versus Silva, like people are assuming Silva is going to win because Mir shot, but so is, so is Silva. So it's like, you can't bet on that fight. You know what I mean? So it, it's a good card, Jeremy, from like a viewer perspective, from a betting perspective, be very careful. The one guy, like I said, I do like the, the most is Sean Strickland. You agree, yeah, James? His line went down and I think he wins. Sorry, what would you say, Jeremy? I said you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, Adam and I kind of agree on the Alvi yeah. uh, fight uh, as yeah, a dog. Yeah, we like um, one, one, uh, one, Yeah, and uh, one prop I mentioned on our podcast this week that I uh, should keep an eye out. It's not out yet, but uh, Michael Johnson uh, wins by knockout. Um, yeah. You know, I've said this before. Edson Barbosa, I'm not convinced his chin is rock solid. He's had a couple shaky fights. The Castillo fight, uh, Jamie Varner knocked him out, and then obviously Cerrone, uh, you know, knocked him down and got the submission. So Michael Johnson's got knockout power. People got to look at that win he had over Gleason Tebow, a guy who's very tough to knock out. He finished yeah. him. Uh, so th- that's a prop I'd be keeping an eye on because if Michael Johnson's plus 115, I'm sure him by knockout is going to be a lot nicer too. So that- that's what I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, and he's been he's in training with Nicky Holson, you know, like he's yeah. looked good. Um, Henry Hoof, the Black Zillions. Henry I mean, Hoof, that, I mean that, yeah, yeah. And yeah. someone brought up the point that he's a southpaw and Barboza is a, obviously an orthodox fighter and his leg kicks are going to go, you know, they usually go to the, the left leg of the fighter, but for Johnson, it's going to go to his right leg and that might not be as effective. So it's an interesting fight. I'm looking into that one a little bit more, but uh, yeah, James, I think that, you know, Johnson by knockout, I think Alvi by knockout, because Muta- like Cesar Mutach, he was knocked out by that guy, uh, Elvis Mutachich, who was the MFC champion. That guy... Let's be honest. Like he doesn't have the most knockout power in the world. He got knocked out by him. Um, another guy, Wendell Oliveira. I think he knocks out Wahlberger, but we'll see. You know, yeah. you never know. Yeah, and and one more thing, I'll just add. I'm looking here at the over on the Silva Mir fight is only one and a half. It's at minus one fifteen. I'm definitely going to play that. Yeah, I, like, like he, I said, guys. I I I hope I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it's not a boring fight. Uh, you know, for the fans. I hope we do see a big knockout. But I got my doubts. I think this one might go the distance. Yeah, I was going to say the the, the hunt and. Uh, Silva fight was one and a half rounds, two James. And everyone's like, oh, it's going under. Someone's getting knocked out. Well, you saw what happened there, right? So you never know exactly. with big Bigfoot fights are really weird. Like a yeah, lot of times. He gets knocked out or he has a weird yeah, it's true. Yeah, a lot of times when he's a favorite, he loses. And then when he's the underdog, like a huge dog against like Overeem or Fedor, he wins. So it's very difficult to bet on his fights. Boys, 30 plus minutes. It's been a blast. They are the hosts of the Parting Shot podcast. James, why don't you just let people know where else they can find you and get a hold of you in the social media universe? Definitely. Social media, best place to find me on Twitter, at Lynch on Sports. That's L-Y-N-C-H. Uh, you can check me out on MMA Odds Breaker. I do some articles for them. I had a really cool one that just came out this week talking about uh, Canada and how it's not really the mecca of MMA anymore. And I kind of outline all the issues we're having right now, uh, not just with the UFC, but across the board with television deals and things like that. So check that out on MMA Odds Breaker. And uh, you can check out on Sportsnet.ca. This week I have an article on Edson Barbosa and Michael Johnson talking about how uh, it's a big fight for both guys. And, uh, you know, they, they really need a, a dominant win if they want to separate themselves from the lightweight pack and uh thank you uh thank you very much jeremy for uh, having me and adam on i really appreciate it and you adam 
Yeah, definitely follow me on Twitter at MM Adam Martin. And you know what? I'm actually working on a bunch of fight breakdowns for this card. So I gave like my preliminary picks, but I'm going to look deeper into a lot of these fights. I'll have eight fight breakdowns coming out this week. Um, this card's on Sunday, so I have a little bit of time to get uh, through the fights. But uh, yeah, definitely check that out on MMAoddsbreaker.com. And uh, I'll, have a, I'll have an article on Frank Mir and Bigfoot Silva on MMA Ratings Net, uh, where I talk about how this fight is going to be an eviction of one of these two uh, heavyweight fighters. And I should mention uh, countermove.com. I'm going to have a preview for the card. Uh, I think you guys do a countermove thing, right, right Jeremy? You Not anymore. Somewhere? We're actually on board with DraftKings now. Oh, so you switched to okay. You're the you're the enemy. No, I'm joking. I'm I wouldn't joking. I say both. I, I wouldn't say enemy. I play both as well. <laughs> I play both. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, check out my countermove uh, breakdown on countermove.com. Fun times chatting with those two boys. Uh, I'd like to thank them for joining the show. A lot of fun, 30-plus minutes, my goodness. Also, thanks to Alan Joban for taking the time out of his busy day to talk to us over at Sucker Radio. Thank you to Colleen Schneider. Good luck to her in Invicta FC debut. And then, sounds like she's heading over to Japan to fight for Pancrase. So, good luck to her in both those outings. Ah, my goodness, I can't believe this show has come to an end. It's been a long one. Uh, It didn't seem like it was ever going to end. Before we go again, head on over to DraftKings.com. These guys have their $20,000 prize pool up for grabs for UFC Fight Night Bigfoot versus Mir going down on Sunday in North America. First place gets $2,000. The top 2,300 finishing positions are paid. And it's a salary cap style drafting. As I always say, 50 grand, select your top five fighters, who you think are going to win, who you think are going to do well. You know, you get points for takedowns, you get points for submission attempts, you get points for punches landed. So, I mean, if a guy is fighting, it goes to a decision. Even if he's on the losing end, you're going to get some points. So these things stack up. Make sure you choose who you think is going to get the most points. If it's going to go to a decision, obviously you're not going to get as many points as if the guy taps someone out or he gets the knockout, but you're still going to get some points. So a $2 entry, it's waived with your first deposit. As I said, off the hop, enter in the promo code MMASUCKA, that's M-M-A-S-U-C-K-A. And again, first-time depositors at DraftKings will receive a 100% bonus up to $600. That means if you put in $600, you get $600 back. You have $1,200 in your account. Thank you to Justin Pirot for his unpopular opinions, joined by Jonathan Snowden. That was a good one. His stuff's been getting better and better as the weeks go on. I cannot complain about what Justin's doing with his unpopular opinions here on Sucker Radio. Make sure you head on over to MMASucker.com. We have a ton of features out this week. Um, Sean Strickland piece will be going up in the next couple days before his outing on Saturday. That piece will be up. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at MMA Sucker. You can check myself out on Twitter at Jeremy Brand 604 on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash MMA Sucker. And with that, I'm out. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show where you can stream online. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. 
radio. It's the it's the radio. Sucker sucker radio. It's the radio. It's the it's the radio. Sucker sucker radio. Come and listen. It's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. Out.